Africa is still gown value design the way we're supposed to, but it's not the fault of the continent. The discipline is still new. It's our responsibility to change that. I'm not going to blame anyone because I'd rather be part of the people who bring the difference because it's a challenge. And uh, I've read a quote that says, if you identify the problem, it might be your responsibility to fix it. Welcome to Design Lab. I'm Bon Q. Thank you for coming back to the show where we tell stories about how the worlds of design, art, science, and health intersect. And thank you for leaving five stars on Apple Podcasts. This is how you as a listener can support us. On today's show, we have Gideon Machava. He is an entrepreneur, designer, and community builder. He has experience leading teams, coaching designers, and creating products and services that positively impact people's lives. He works across diverse industries and sectors. He brings early ideas and concepts to life for World Bank projects, scrappy startups, and nonprofits in Africa. He's the author of Design Sutra. It's a collection of design principles for designers in the early stages of their careers. And he founded the World Class Designer School. It's the home of the brightest design minds in Africa. Recently, he organized the World Class Designer Conference, which included speakers such as Debbie Millman, Marty Kagan, and designers from some of the largest companies in the world. In 2018, Google named him one of the best community builders in Africa. Gideon Machava, welcome to Design Lab. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Gideon, where are you located right now? So currently I'm in Mozambique, but on the last past few years, I lived in South Africa, like so studying and, and working. Great. And for our listening audience, Mozambique is a country in East Africa. And yeah. can you give us a little flavor about what Mozambique is like? And is, is that where you're from? Because I haven't been uh, to Mozambique. So give us a little flavor of what, what life is like there for you right now. It took me a few years to leave my country. I only left like for the first time in Mozambique when I was 22. When I left, I went to South Africa. I went to some island around like the ocean, the Indian Ocean. But I was lucky enough to be able to go to the U.S. and, and visit a few countries in Europe. Like the way I see my country changed because when you're in your country, you only see the trees, right? But when yep. you're able to go like outside, you can see the forest. So that gave me a more clear overview in terms of what we are and where we stand. So like South Africa is around one hour, like from where I lived in South Africa, it's like one, two hours apart if you fly there, six to, to eight if you drive. But economic-wise, the reality is like 50 years apart, like five zero. Mm. It's to feel like you're traveling on time because South Africa is way more developed than Mozambique and it will take around like two for us, like Mozambique, around 50 years to be able to reach the same level that they are now. Wow. Yeah. So, but when I went to US, I saw that even South Africa was backward. Uh -huh. But when I went to Europe, I felt that US was backward also. <laughs> tell, tell me more tell me more <laughs> i well we definitely i definitely feel us is backwards now <laughs> so it's you feel like i i i i don't mean to insult the country but it feels like us is, is type of countries that you know like these rich rappers with gucci belt uh -huh. stuff yeah, like, yeah, you're rich, you're rich, but you're like, dude, really? Are you really, really rich? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So like uh, I end up understanding what being a developed country means, but I also understood what being poor means because mm. you don't understand what is poverty until you experience what being rich means. So I can tell you like uh, it's a fairly poor country, but economically and politically most it's quite stable okay. if you compare with other countries in Africa, but we still have a lot to improve. So the currency is not the strongest in Africa, but also it's not the weakest. The economy, like most of the people still don't have electricity, don't have water, like education is a, it's a big problem, but there is a really good side of like in most that I felt that I could understand better of Mozambique. I feel like the people from my country are more human than the other people that I met right around the world. I can tell you in South Africa, if you don't know anyone, uh-huh. you you might sleep on the streets. I, I can tell you that that won't likely to happen in Mozambique mm. because we have the commu- such a community spirit that we help each other. We don't have, we don't even need to know you. Mm. Uh, we're so close, and the, the weather is really nice. Like it's not the most secure country in the world, but it's not so violent. Yeah, but culture-wise, we like it's very rich in terms of culture. We have really bright people in the in, in the country also. I interviewed Michael Gigi, who's a great designer, and he told me about his design journey and how he ended up actually living on the streets and met a designer and learned about graphic design when he had moved to South Africa. Tell us about your design journey. I know you studied um, economics in Mozambique and did you always want to become a designer when you were growing up? Not, not really. I wanted to be an economist actually, but things okay. changed when I was like growing up. I ended up learning like technology. I code like 10 mostly. So when it was time to choose what to do in college, I knew I would end up like doing technology, but I didn't want to learn that like full time. I, I, I knew I, I could learn like on the side because most of my friends were geeks. And uh, I, I said to myself- <laughs> Same like, with me. Most of my friends are geeks. <laughs> <laughs> so like I, I had the spirit of always wanting to be the smartest person in the group. So I asked myself, what would make me the smartest person in the group? And the answer was, I had to learn something that they can't learn on the internet. Mm. So I went to study economics. You can't study economics on the internet. Mm. So I wanted to become different. So that was what I've done. So being able, like studying economics allowed me to see the world completely in a completely different perspective. I understand like from accounting, management, macroeconomics and everything in the between. But during my studies, I, I ended up creating, join other people and create the MOSDEVs, which become one of the biggest developers community in my country. And I've managed to make the community grow to almost a thousand members in three years. Amazing. So, because the reason why I start focus on development and community code, community tech, I felt a bit frustrated, but I ended up realizing that uh, the field was so conservative that I would mm-hmm. need a PhD to be able to contribute something significant. Mm-hmm. But in tech, it's completely different. You can just have a really good idea and go on the side and implement it. If it works, everyone else is going to adapt. Yeah, there's lower barriers to entry. On the beginning, I code. Like, was a community, we got together, friends hackathons, projects, let's build something cool. But as you I, just taught yourself to code like how you taught yourself to learn English, basically. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. You learned this different yeah. language. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as time goes, I stopped coding because I was the only person in my team that could talk to normal people and could mm-hmm. talk to developers. So that ended up make, made me like a project project manager role. And like with time, you end up learning that actually was a field and was called UX design. Mm. Because I was the interface between the developers, the community I created, and the people who actually use the tools that we created. So I had to find a that, way that, like... That, well, that's, that's fascinating that you were <laughs> doing this. Then you're like, whoa, I'm actually doing this thing called UX design. <laughs> you didn't go say, hey, I want to yeah. study, learn about UX design and start doing it. You were already doing UX design. Yeah, that's actually right. So this is what I've done. So this is how I ended up becoming designer. Yep. That is an amazing story. A self-taught uh, designer just using what you found out there on the internet and building community. You started the world-class designer conference. Can you yes. tell us what that is and why you started it? I listened to a podcast, Tim Ferriss show. I'm not sure you're from. You yeah, I love Tim Ferriss. I actually met him a, a while back and he's very influential. So one day I listened to Maria Sharapova episode. It's a famous mm-hmm. tennis player. And one of the best tennis in the world, tennis in the world was like, after listening to that episode, and I started asking myself, what do I need to do to become the Maria Sharapova of design? Mm. So I started creating this dream for myself, becoming a world-class designer. So I started like interviewing, a lot, like talking to a lot of people, and uh, like understanding what I've done to become really good at what they do. So with time, I ended up realizing that I was collecting too much knowledge to keep to myself alone. Mm. I started writing articles about the, the calls I had. I recorded a podcast and the people continuing asking for more, but those people were for Africa. But I want to become a designer. What do I do? I start asking myself, why don't I do this cool? Hmm. So I will get all these people who want to become designers in a platform. I will make sure that they have enough discipline to complete. Uh, and I will try to mentor them and coach them. So I won't become the only world-class designer. So the question that came after was, how will I pay for so many people? And I didn't want to like ask for funds or sponsorships or anything like that. But I had a huge network of designers like that time. And I was you talking. built this huge network just by cold calling, emailing yeah. people, just talking <laughs> yeah. to them and just writing stuff up. What did you start like a medium blog or something like that? If wow. I show you your profile, I will email you. I will email you like enough time. So you will have two choices. You will rather block me or respond to my email. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but that's amazing. You you were able to do this all while living in South Africa, reaching to designers all across the all planet. The world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So like the solution that I ended up founding was organizing, organizing the conference. I wanted to create like design community in Africa, but I don't want it to be about Africa. I want to be mm. about the world mm. because I know that we Africans, we are talented enough to become like literally world-class designer. If I organize a conference about Africa, it will still continue in that silo that I want to remove us from. So the conference was, okay, it's about Africa because if you buy a ticket, I'll be able to sponsor one uh, African student, right? To go for free to the conference. 
yeah, to go for free for the conference and pay for the ed- for the education. What's this education? So basically, remember I said people can't afford the Interesting Design Foundation, Coursera, the yeah. life discipline, right? They if can't afford these pay. online courses that already yeah. currently exist, but is maybe designed more for a Western audience. Yes. I, I decided to create the, the type of Uber for education because if all the content is out there, I just have to collect and organize. Mm-hmm. So the conference was the vehicle for me to do that. So I've managed to get like sponsors like Shopify, Webflow, Frammer, and Argo Design, which is the company uh, in New York to sponsor the conference. And people like from Google, uh, Facebook, I didn't expect those people buying tickets. When I yeah. saw people buying, it was like, What's happening here? Like even huge people from huge boutique. It was like, what? There, yeah, there were, <laughs> and it's a very global conference and you have some real design leaders like Debbie Millman, who I'm yeah. a big fan of. I was like, <laughs> yeah. wow, this is an amazing conference. Yeah. Debbie Millman charged a lot of money to do a conference and she did that for free for us. Actually, everyone did for free. Wow. I managed to convince more than 40 people to give like more than 30 minutes of daytime, like for free. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. When did so, this conference happen? Like February, like it's almost more than a month now. Oh, I wish I had known about it <laughs> earlier. I would have loved to have gone. How many people yeah. participated in the conference? Overall, like we had people from all over the world. What is around 900? Wow. Yeah. 900. I had zero budget for this conference, like zero. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. <laughs> like, <laughs> Unbelievable. Just one idea, one dream was like, I managed to find this group of friends who are crazy like me and say, let's try this. <laughs> 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 and yeah. And you know what? It was a 24 hours nonstop conference. Wait, whoa. What do you mean? Yes. The conference run for 24 hours. Okay. Non-stop. Unbelievable. I guess because you had such a global audience that you were able to hit people in different time zones. Yes, that was the goal. Because I want to create like a really international conference. I love how you are democratizing design and design education for you know, people living you know living in the global south and in african countries i think that's just just amazing but it's not it's not african design it's global design but you're making it accessible to to really anyone and really elevating uh, design what are some of the challenges of becoming a designer living in an african country and what are your thoughts about the future of design in Africa? This is a really nice question because our our slogan is the future of design is African and we are building it. The, is mm. the, the slogan of our school. Because like being a designer in Africa is really hard. First of all, because design is a very new discipline as a formal discipline. So most of the companies don't value design in the way that we think should be valued. But we understand people have other priorities. Takes like It's going to take some time until they see the value of design. Like designers are not valued properly and not being paid properly. That's why one of the goals of what we're doing is like trying to make designers, African designers be valued the same way that like people from US are being valued because mm-hmm. we, I really believe that we can bring a lot of value. If, even if probably better because we kind of have untapped creativity 
because like most of what we know about design come from the Western world, right? Yeah. We don't. Bauhaus from Germany and, and even in, in the U.S., yeah. most designers are white. It's very homogenous. There's some stats I read where three quarters of designers in the U.S. are white. You see? So, so imagine if we start having those numbers balanced and having more African people joining the conversation and shaping the future of design, what would happen? So that, that, that basic, it's our dream. So, so yeah, Africa is still gone value design the way we're supposed to, but it's not the fault of the continent. The discipline is still new. It's our responsibility to change that. I'm not going to blame anyone because I'd rather be part of the people who bring the difference because it's a challenge. And uh, I've read a quote that says, if you identify the problem, it might be your responsibility to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I see this as my responsibility. So I will try to do my best to fix that part. Like regarding the future of design, I remember when I was in South Africa, I've read one billboard that was saying an Italian car, like promoting an Italian car. When I saw that billboard, it was like, wow, Italia is so good. Like Italy, the country, so good that they can just sign the country and you kind of feel like... <laughs> very well-built product. When are we going to have that for Africa? Mm-hmm. So I created this as a mission for myself, trying to create the Made in Africa a brand. So inspired by the Italian cars, I want to create the Made in Africa designers. Like I hope 10 years from now, when you hear about these guys, are African designers, and your expectations are way high. Yeah, like, I love that. Because, yeah, so... so so because of that billboard, I started like researching about it, like trying to understand what Italy did to become a reference in, in the design field. So I read a lot of articles, I ended up learning that about intentionality, how, how they care about craft, creating unique products. Like on that same line of thoughts, I've researched about Chinese company that managed to change the image that we have like from China. Mm-hmm. I've read about Sony like the idea of Sony creating, like after the Second World War, like uh, Japan was seen by the Americans like uh, as a third world country and that only produced like really low quality products. Yeah. And the founder of Sony have that in mind. And he had the intention of changing the image of the country using mm. the products. If you go it was the same first- experience as Korea too. My parents are from Korea and I remember products being, you know, made in Korea weren't really valued. You know, they were seen as yeah. lesser as if there was made in Italy or France, but made in Korea was like, eh, it's kind of mm. like lesser. It's maybe not as good quality. Why don't I create literally the world-class designer coming from Africa? And I take that as my personal mission. So I want to be able to, like, I told you that I'm going to be launching my school. Yeah. Tell, yeah, uh, tell me more about that. It's, a, it's an online school. Yeah. So like I've managed to raise enough money to start a school. So like my idea is to scout and find the best designers in the, like in Africa and train them to, for them to go to the next level and be able to showcase to the world how good designers can come from Africa. We have a lot of initiatives in Africa that train people to do design. I don't want to train anyone. I want to make people who are good better. 
because mm. everyone knows about Usain Bolt. No one knows the, the second best runner in the world. Oh. You're right. Everyone knows <laughs> Usain Bolt, but oh, yeah, who is the second best runner? <laughs> yeah, you don't. <laughs> you, you don't know. So that's why we try, we, uh, like my school, we're going to focus on trying to create the best designers, not educating masses, but trying to find the best because I know that the first step toward creating a brand is with quality. And you, get, you only get quality when you get super talented people. And the goal of the school is to find those people and educate them and showcase them to the world. Hmm. I, I love that you're just like lowering this barrier to get into design, to get this design education. You wrote a book called Design Sutra. Is yes. that right? Can you tell us yes. a, about that book? I, I tried reading it, but it's in Portuguese. Is there an English yeah. version? No, I didn't create an English version because I believe that we have enough content in English that covers that part. Mm. But in Portuguese, we joined. It's called Design Sutra because it's designed from design and sutra from Kama Sutra. Because the premise behind the book is design for me is like for me, myself, was like sex. No one teaches you, but you learn, right? <laughs> that is right. <laughs> but guess what? You can't learn. You, no one can teach you sex, but you have Kama Sutra. That kind of teaches you sex, right? What if I create the Kama Sutra for this design? Mm. So yeah, I end up creating the Design Sutra. I love that. That's a great title for a book. <laughs> so basically, it's a collection of design principles for designers in early stage of their careers. Well, I can't wait for the English version because <laughs> my Portuguese is not good. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to uh, shift gears and there's a few more questions I have. One, you know, I'm not sure if, I should have given you this question ahead of time, but do you have thoughts on the relationship to, between design and health? And maybe are there some examples from Mozambique or from South Africa? Yeah, like for Mozambique, I, we do have a lot of examples. Like this is a very sensitive point for me. <clears throat> when I left MosDev, the community that I created in Mozambique, the last event that I organized was a hackathon health. Like to solve, oh really? Wow! Yeah, to solve like problems related to health, but that was inspired by by a really bad moment that I had in my life. My father passed away three years ago, three, uh, two, four years ago. So sorry. Yeah, no, actually, he was hospitalized. He passed away. Yeah, he was hospitalized for like few months. He was sick for other months, and that passed away. Mm. And during that period, I had to go to the hospital a lot. Okay. Right, and I end up like seeing the reality that they living. So. At a hospital, you can waste two hours waiting for no reason. Like mostly is coordination issues. Yep. And I am a geek. I am a technologist. And I know I could fix those problems. So I end up talking to, to organizations who are responsible like for, for managing part of the hospital and other international organizations support them to try to create solutions like to, to help them. Example, like managing a queue. If you want to go to the hospital, Imagine if you could book using an SMS. Yeah. That would save a lot of time. It would reduce the number of people waiting there because you'll go to the hospital to get help, not to go there 
wait. Imagine if you could get diagnosed while you're home. Mm. So that was the, the type of, of problems that we wanted to solve. Unfortunately, like, uh, was way harder than I thought. I think we developers and designers, sometimes we're so naive. So we think just, you just go there and fix the problem because the tool is here. We end up forgetting the adoption period, like the politics involved, like the finance part that requires. And uh, yeah, we end up learning that. And now I know that you don't just create a solution and expect people to adopt. There is a lot of moving blocks that you have to go yeah. through. Yeah, the implementation is so hard yeah. in healthcare because it's so complex, so regulated. The finances and economics are, are so complex, but I, I love the optimism of designers coming in and the, you know encouraging us to solve the problem. I think sometimes those of us like myself who work in the healthcare system, we get so jaded and think this is an intractable problem. It's never going to get fixed. That's why they're called patients because they have patients <laughs> to wait in line. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think like uh, designing healthcare is a very important area, which is being neglected nowadays. I, I, I can't tell you why, but I think we should pay more attention probably because it's a very sensitive area because yep. you can't do AB tests in, in healthcare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's people lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah but but i do believe that's a very super relevant area healthcare is one of those like last frontiers in design and there's such a need for designers to uh, come into healthcare yeah definitely definitely you will cry if you see the health system in, in mozambique why you, you the first I, I, question i've not been yeah so tell me more the first question that you, you ask yourself is how come are we surviving with such a poor health system? Mm. We're lucky just we don't get as sick as much as, as we kind of supposed to. That's why we're surviving. Mm. But uh, yeah, the health system is really poor. We don't have enough doctors for the whole population. We don't have medicines. If we do, it's extremely expensive. The public sector is really like, not so well organized. We have a lot of challenges in the country a lot of challenges mm. so like mozambique is the type of country that you pray to not get sick mm. yeah i'm curious to know how has life been for you and others in mozambique during the pandemic when i looked at the latest numbers there there doesn't seem to be that many covid cases or deaths in your country i'll tell you something like like super important to get contest about this to have COVID cases, you have to count. What I'm seeing counting is you guys can know exactly how many people have COVID because people do report and the authorities actually take this, this case like seriously. I, I don't have proofs. I don't have evidence about this, but I believe that the numbers that we have don't express the reality. So there's, a, there's an underreporting because the data yeah. is not being collected as yeah. rigorously. So, yeah. So it's not as bad as other countries, but I believe we have more cases not reported. Okay. What's like life like? Can you like go out and eat in restaurants and you know go out in public? Are people wearing masks? Uh, yes and no. You know, like we Africans are very septic, septics. We only believe what we can see. Mm-hmm. We tell you, oh, there is COVID is killing. The first question I'm going to ask, how many people from your family did COVID kill? Yeah. None. So, okay. When someone died, please let me know. <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, we, we tried to wear masks in the beginning, but uh-huh. uh, it's kind of fading away already. Okay. Although we're going to have the third wave of COVID cases, but I feel like people are getting tired. Mm. You can still go to restaurants. We have a curfew, like at 9 p.m. No one is allowed to go out. But oh, really? Prov- yeah. Wow. Uh, but only in the province, which be- because most of the cases of COVID were reported in the capital of the country, which is Maputo, where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, life is kind of normal. Like public sector, everyone is wearing a mask. But outside of that space, like if you drive away like 20 kilometers from the city, you will see a completely different reality. Hmm. It feels like there is no COVID there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My last question for you is what inspires you to be creative? I think challenges. I tell you, like I really get, I get energy out of problems. Like when I was organizing the world-class design conference, which was one of the biggest challenges in my professional life until now, I have received so many emails. I remember there is a week that I've received so many emails that if I open an email, and I didn't reply, I will never find that email again. <laughs> <laughs> so I got super excited, like talking to people from all over the world. I never expect that I will talk like personally to Debbie Millman and to other amazing designers that I had on my list. And when the conference ended, I got depressed for almost two weeks. Mm. But because I didn't have more work, I didn't have mm. more problems to solve. Mm. So I was like, oh, what I'm doing with my life now? <laughs> it's everything over. Well, it looks like you have a lot more problems to solve. And I'm really inspired by your design journey, your vision for creating world-class designers from Africa. This conference that you and your colleagues created, it's so inspiring. And really thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, was a really nice talk. You can find Gideon Machava on social media. He's on Twitter at G-U-I-D-I-O-N-E-M-A-C-H-A-V-A. And he's also on Instagram. And thank you to everyone who reaches out to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at B-O-N-K-U and on Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Design Lab was produced by Rob Puglisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and our cover design by Eden Liu. See you next week.